This is TLDR Podcast, where we talk sports, MLB, NHLs, NBAs, pop culture, and nobody understands Westworld, and more. Top 10 alcoholic beverages. With your hosts, Alex. Yeah, boy. Eric. Yo. James. The San Francisco 49ers, best team in the league. Traded. Right. Oh, sit down, bud. And Tyler. Oh, damn where we do the research and trash-talking for you. What kind of cockamamie bullshit is Adam Silver thinking? <laughs> they're playing super hot right now, and they're... It's they're not finishing. Good. It's the middle of the season. Oh, I understand that, but I'm saying that they're, they're moving towards that. Welcome to TLDR Podcast, presented by Anchor. Hello. Everybody and welcome to episode 65 of TLDR podcast. We just week after week we're pumping these out and it's getting more and more fun. We're getting more and more in depth. Um, we are two weeks away from uh, playoff baseball. We're two weeks in to NFL uh, NFL football. Uh, we are three weeks away from. Um, I, I don't know when basketball exactly starts, but three weeks from, I assume basketball and hockey starting at the same time <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, golf's even starting this week. So <laughs> it's, it's like the Christmas. Uh, I, I think everyone can agree that October is arguably the greatest month, um, in sports, because I think every sport is going at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. so that's always exciting. Um, Eric. How you feeling after last week? And I missed you on Sunday, but you had a hell of a round of golf, man. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, me and James golfed the best scores of our life. Um, Two weekends in a row, bro. Yeah, true. And, um, you know, it, it was eventful. Happy late birthday trade-in. And then also congratulations to you and Tyler for winning your beer league cup. Um so now that means if I join your team, you, we for sure won't win it next year. Cause that's just mean, how it goes. You mean when you join our team? Yeah. You're going to join. Yeah. When and if, and um, <laughs> other than that, fuck fantasy football until Thursday, I'm dropping everybody and picking up new guys except Kyler Murray. Um, and that's how I feel. But other than that, I'm good. Yeah. Fantasy is an emotional roller coaster. Um you know, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, James, are you Owen? I think you're Owen two, and you're our football guy. Hmm. Oh, dude, no, I'm one and one. What's she saying? Oh, one. I had one. the highest <laughs> point total last week, bro. Excuse me. But like, I'm in seven leagues, and in all the leagues that I won in last week, I lost in. So in every single league, I'm one and one. Kind of crazy. Consistency. It, it's it's yeah. quite it's quite a, a roller coaster. Alex, what are you up to? How's your how's the opening of your uh, your brewery? You guys doing well? Yeah. Uh... We had an outside event this this uh, Saturday, and I was hanging out with some uh, former MLB players and managers and stuff. Uh, shout out to uh, Brett Saberhagen, who pitched for the Royals for like forever. Uh, I was at his house, and like Chili Davis was there, a bunch of other cool people. So uh, it's going well. Uh, also, one and one in both of my fantasy leagues. Uh, my team in our league decided just to shit the bed this week. <laughs> not really sure why. Not really sure what happened, but. Um, other than that, I'm good. I will not be dropping my entire team. I'm going to keep them and hope, hope for a better win next week. I <laughs> love it. Um, that's, that's, that's great stuff. Uh, Tyler, we won the, we won our adult league last night. Um, it was quite, I mean, it, it, it jacked me up, but then again, it's also just 
Copper League, and I'm waiting for uh, that win in Bronze League. That's when it really is going to matter, eh? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the league we were in, lesser competition. But either way, it's fun to win, no matter what. Uh, it's fun to hoist that cup above your head at the end of the day and celebrate with your teammates. Uh, so it was fun. But yeah, I'm definitely excited. I'm looking forward to next season when we go up up the division that we should be in. Um, we'll be playing much better competition. But uh, either way, funning or funning, winning is always fun no matter what. How are you feeling going in the last two weeks here um, of your baseball season, of like of baseball regular Good. season? Are you scoreboard watching every single oh. minute of every day? Oh yeah, this is this is some of the most fun time to be a baseball fan. These last few weeks of September, when there are just so many teams fighting for those last few spots, teams that are coming out of nowhere. Talk about that that you wouldn't expect it uh, a week ago. Um, there's just so, you think that a certain lead is safe, and then a week later, all of a sudden that goes away. Um, it's amazing baseball. There's so many teams in it. Uh, great time to be a baseball fan right now. Yeah, unless you're the Angels, an Angels fan. Um, <laughs> also true. But that's like all that, the time, though. Th- that rounds us off to uh, to our big Angels fan. And um, by the time you listen to this, it will be his birthday. James, happy birthday on behalf of TLDR Podcast and myself. How are you feeling going into uh, week three of football? First of all, thank you, TLDR Podcast. I appreciate you guys. Going into week three of football, I'm very excited. The Niners have a Sunday night game, so the entire world will be watching. Fantasy football, like you said, is an emotional roller coaster, but it's always fun with friends by your side. So thank you guys for showing up. Love that. Alex, you got to come down, man. It's always a good time. One weekend, <laughs> trade itself. It'll be fun. Uh, very excited, man. I love football. I love it all. I love it. Um, actually, you know what? Let's get right into it. James, you ready to go? Let's just get right into your, uh, your segment. Um, James is bringing back fan- uh, the fantasy waiver wires. Honestly, guys, it, I th- I'm pretty sure it helped me you know, at least half of the weeks when, uh, when we were in season. So, you know, listen up if you, if you're uh, struggling in your fantasy league, like I am, this is your opportunity per week to, to, to get an edge. Um, so James, take it away, man. All right, guys, just a quick disclaimer here about how this is all going to go. I'll go through four different positions the positions that you really think about when you do fantasy football. And I based it off ESPN leagues. And I only mention or talk about people who are owned in less than 50% of the league with certain exceptions, like a 50%. Exactly. Um, but this week was very barren. There was really, it was really hard to find people who would be good with wire pickups, but we're going to try and do it anyway. Starting off with the quarterback position, I picked Daniel Jones this week. Eric's favorite guy of all time, AKA the fantasy goat, as he would say year after year after year. He is rostered in 10.7% of leagues. He had 29 fantasy points last week or this last weekend, which was fourth for any QB. He had 249 passing yards on 68.8% and one touchdown. But the big kicker here is he had nine carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. And as you guys know, rushing in fantasy for a quarterback is huge. The biggest thing here, Saquon is not all the way back. Saquon is not Saquon yet. Saquon can't run the ball. I think he had 49 yards on like 20 carries. That was not good. On the flip side of this, he had Daniel Jones, 95 for nine. That's crazy. And on top of that, Sterling Shepard is for the first time in his career, healthy. And that's going to be huge for Daniel Jones, who could just throw it to him. And then you pick up Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton. They run vertical threats that just open up the middle of the field for Daniel Jones to run or to just throw a nice little underneath to Sterling Shepard. Next up, they play the Falcons. And this should be a very high-scoring game, in my opinion. I mean, the average points that the Falcons give to quarterbacks is 29 fantasy points. So Daniel Jones looks damn good. 
He profiles a lot, a lot like Jalen Hurts, who torched, torched them in the week number one for 29 fantasy points. So it might be looking good for Daniel Jones. Uh, who had Daniel Jones? <laughs> Alex. That would be me. God damn it, James. <laughs> Did not write <laughs> All right. What do you think about Daniel Jones? I mean, it's still Daniel Jones. Like, the offensive line is terrible. It's one of the worst in football. I mean, yeah, he had 95 rushing yards, but, like, you really shouldn't be counting on that. Um, you know, and looking at, you know, the other, like, so, you know, if we're basing this off of a 10-team 10, 10 league, like, the top 10 quarterbacks kind of mostly drafted – you know, I'm not really sure who you're going to sit for Daniel Jones. The only person I could kind of think about for this upcoming week is maybe Matt Stafford, even though he's had two pretty good games so far, but they're playing the Bucks next week and the Bucks have a insanely good defense. So if you're feeling like a little bit wary about that, I can understand sitting Matt Stafford for Daniel Jones. Um, you know, there are, a bunch, there are a bunch of quarterback injuries this week, but none of them were guys that were rostered, you know, in majority of leagues. I mean, if you have somebody like Dak Prescott, who's obviously just coming off a big injury and had a you know, pretty down week, and you want some insurance, and you want to pick up another you know, NFC East quarterback and Daniel Jones, go for it. But at this point, like, I, he needs to show me more because of how terrible he was last year. And to be honest, like, that offensive line is terrible. So I can't really trust Daniel Jones. And when you watch him, he still misses throws all the time. So... If you want to, go for it, but I would not do it. Okay, do you have something to say? Yeah, I do actually. Um, and the I just want to you know pick pick uh, your brain here, Alex. When when I look at last week, they go they go up against the Washington Half Smokes. If you're Tyler, um, who are known to have a really good defense, and he still puts up 21 points, and they give up you know quite a bit of yard, you know quite a bit of yards. Does that kind of change your mind? Is he is he kind of is he starting to get into that? realm i mean he out he's outperformed jimmy g who's the starting quarterback for the for the night that's a terrible no don't even bring jimmy g. yeah he has yeah, no he has you can't yeah. compare jimmy g who <laughs> i can't fantasy wise i can't how can it's i relevant to okay pick up jimmy g then and start him for your please team don't next week. don't don't do that don't hurt yourself <laughs> like that jimmy g has zero fantasy relevance well it doesn't work that way so daniel jones is better in fantasy, fantasy wise absolutely because the rushing upside. That's what I'm. So, Alex, real fast, what would Daniel Jones have to do this next week against the Falcons for you to start to consider him as a QB one? I want to see at least twenty five points again, and then and then I would consider it. But again, like you, I don't know how you if you have Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Russell, like any of these guys in the top ten unless Daniel Jones is just like going off for like 35 points, I don't know how you could realistically like pick him up and sit any of those guys. Like Eric, would you sit Kyler Murray for Daniel Jones? You're a big Daniel Jones guy. Oh, exactly. Like there's, I just don't see like, um, you know, if you're a 12 team league and you, you want to go for it or like a two quarterback league, obviously like he's probably already rostered, but he's out. He's I got to I got to see it. Long. He's outperformed your boy Josh Allen. He really lot. has. I think Daniel Jones is the Washington Washington quarterback. Smokes. Okay, I'll pick up Daniel Jones. The only reason that I'm even in on this is because I have Josh Allen, who is in every single roster in the NFL fantasy. 
and he's done fucking shit, dude. Okay. Pick up <laughs> Daniel Jones and shit Josh Allen then. Let's see it. I mean, if he's playing the Falcons, this could be your one chance straight to do that. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know who the Bills are playing next week, but the Bills play the Bills play the Washington half smokes. Well then, it's gonna be brutal. Josh Allen is it though? Because Daniel Jones just put up twenty fucking points against them. Daniel Jones is a fantasy goat, right, Eric? Look, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just. I, look, I really just want. I, I need help, guys. That's why I'm like bringing this up. Okay. <laughs> Maybe this will help you, Alex. Who would you pick up from the waiver wire at the quarterback position? I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at every single quarterback on the waiver wire, but it seems like Daniel Jones is probably the best option right now, especially playing a suspect Falcons defense next week. If okay. you really need quarterback help, but again, I would not sit Josh Allen. MVP, possible MVP candidate for Daniel Jones. But trade in, I also think you should because it'd be funny. <laughs> honest, like, honest opinion here, I do think Daniel Jones puts up at least 25 points again next week against the Falcons defense. Absolutely. So if that's got to be your answer, trade, that's going to be your answer, man. Tough. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the running back position here, my pick of the week is Latavius Murray. He is owned in exactly 50% of leagues. So that's why I picked him. He put up 9.6 points on nine carries for 36 yards and a rushing touchdown. The Baltimore Ravens, with all the injuries that they've had, are using a three running back system. Right now it's Latavius Murray, Tyson Williams, and Devontae Freeman. All of them looked really good in their game against the Chiefs last week, yesterday. Two days ago, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Murray profiles a lot like Gus Edwards, who the Ravens absolutely loved. This big bruising back just goes downhill, makes takes all the contact, and runs in for a touchdown. He's currently the second running back on the depth chart, and he's had the second most snaps at that position. And that's surprising, and that's really cool to see because prior, like two days before week one, he wasn't even on that roster. He was a free agent. He just got cut by the Saints. But here he is on the active roster after just being signed and is doing well. The Ravens are a running team. We know this. They're going to run with Lamar. They're going to run with Tyson. And they're going to run with Devontae Freeman. It's going to be a running, th- running friendly offense. And next up, they play the Lions, guys. The Detroit Lions, who are watching right now, don't have a good defense. They're an awful run defense, actually. Like in week one, they gave a three, 104 yards in three quarters to a rookie for the 49ers named Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell in week two did not do good. The Lions are a bad run defense. And honestly, the Ravens should be up early and by a lot. So they're going to run the ball like crazy. Eric? What do you think about Latavius Murray? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say because you kind of just nailed it. Like, they got three running backs. So, it, it just depends on when they use him. Um, he does have two touchdowns, one touchdown in each game, more than Ezekiel Elliott already. Fucking Ezekiel Elliott. Um, but, you know, the averaging three and a half yards per carry. Um, yeah, I mean – they are giving them the ball more. I think he is going to be like kind of their red zone guy too. Like the, like the Saints used him a little bit last year. He's that big bruiser running back, like you're saying. So yeah, actually, you know what? He could eat chunks and points up. The only thing is, you know, Lamar Jackson would be, be the other guy running the ball. But you saw last night he was up. They were doing some option plays with him in the red zone. They were trying to get kind of using Murray as a decoy, but also he's there and ready. So he could be a good pickup, especially this week. Um, they're playing whoever you just said that's not a good team. The Lions. 
Yeah. So, and the Lions are coming off a Monday night game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he could be a good pickup. I don't know, like long term wise, you know, he's going to be, he could be a flex option, I would say. So, just based off the, the fact that they're playing the Lions in week three, what is your projection for Latavius Murray? Maybe 12 to 15 points could be a little more. If, if he gets a lot of red zone chances, you know, that could, that could shoot up to 18 points. That would be pretty ideal for him in a flex position. That's actually kind of me wishfully thinking that, but, uh, you know, he's not even available in our league, so I'm not going to go after him. <laughs> yeah, that's because I have him. So who would you uh, pick up at a, running back, at a running back position? Who would you pick up? Right now? Right now. Actually, well, me and you already traded, but I did pick up Mitchell uh, from the 49ers, and me and you traded, and I got Damian Harris. So I would say Damian Harris from the Patriots. Damian Harris is roster trade 80, 90% of the league, by the way. Yeah, exactly. So that, I, mean, I basically <laughs> picked him up by picking up Mitchell. So I would say pick up Mitchell so you could trade for a guy like Damian Harris. Just have a Niners fan in your league who wants a Niners player on his team. Let's rate that draft real fast. I'm going to take a timeout from this waiver wire ad, waiver wire segment. But who won the draft? Mir Eric. Trade, what do you think? You mean the trade? The trap. Yeah, the trade. Uh, pro- I would say you. <laughs> but yeah. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go with James on this one, too. And Alex. Which one have you got? Which player again? I got Elijah Mitchell, and I traded away Damian Harris. Oh, I, I would take Damian Harris. There we go, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's much two, more, eventually, eventually, if Trey Lance becomes a quarterback, much more mobile, Elijah Mitchell will run less. 49ers are getting – they're always run every single person on their entire roster – Mac Jones is not a running quarterback, doesn't have to deal with Cam Newton. Damian Harris should be, you know, used more heavily. That's my thought process, at least. I like that. I, like that. I tried to convince trading that a long time ago when I tried to trade away Damian Harris for Tyreek Hill. Did not work. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the wide receiver position, I picked Zach Pascal from the Indianapolis Colts. He's owned in 14% of the leagues. He put up 14.8 points on five receptions of, from six targets for 38 yards and a touchdown. Kind of crazy. Uh, the Colts right now are struggling to run the ball in the red zone. You saw this last weekend when the Colts had eight chances and Jonathan Taylor was running straight down the middle and was getting negative yards each and every time. They did not succeed. They didn't look good. That offensive line is broken. So what are you going to do? You got to throw the ball. And in Frank Reich's offense, the number one receiver in the red zone is Zach Pascal. He has three touchdowns in two games. This guy's on an insane amount of same ratio of touchdowns to actual catches. So it's cool. And he looks, he gets out there more often because T.Y. Hilton is out for a long period of time. And Michael Pittman typically works better inside the 20s, not outside the 20s. Next up, they have the Titans. And as good as a defense you think the Titans are, they've given up the most yards to receivers this season. They've given up 572 yards and six touchdowns to wide receivers. They're bad at covering wide receivers. So I like Zach Pascal in this scenario. Tyler, what do you think about Zach Pascal? Yeah, definitely off to, to a good start. As you mentioned, three touchdowns. His career high before this is five. So he's he's well on his way to a career year here. So it, you might want to catch him while he's hot. Um, I guess he's not a huge, not a high target guy, not a high volume guy. But James, as you mentioned, he seems to be a red zone favorite for, for this Colts team, which is going to give you a lot of points. So um, kind of where he's tracking early so far. Um, I think this is a good guy to pick up. 
uh, keep an eye on him. I think this guy can be a really solid flex option. We'll give you some depth at the wide re- receiver uh, position. And I, I think this guy has, has the potential to have a really high upside. So if he's available in your league, not a bad idea just to pick up, drop one of those guys that's put, you know, less than five points in the first two weeks um, off your off your team, pick up this guy. I think he could add some real good depth. Who would you drop from your team? Oh, man, I would have to look. I don't know. Top of my head, I don't even know. I'm sure there's some guy down there. I mean, maybe uh, – I was going to say Landry just because he just got hurt. Um, so that might be a guy that I might switch out. But it kind of depends on how, how bad his injury is. I heard he's week to week. But we'll see. From the waiver position at wide receiver, who would you pick up? Uh, so I kind of forgot about your 50% rule. So I don't know off the top of my head if this guy is eligible, but I picked Tim Patrick of the Denver Broncos. Oh. Um, this dude catches everything. He did not drop a pass last year. Uh, he caught, he's So far, he's caught seven of eight targets so far in 2021. Again, not a super high target guy, um, but the Broncos are a little bit thin on their wide receiver health-wise. So I think this guy will start to get some more targets. Uh, he's kind of trending upwards uh, in, in the last few years. He's gotten one touchdown uh, in both games so far here in, in 2021 and put up 13.9 points in week one and 12.7 points in week two. Pretty solid numbers there for a guy that's on the waiver wire, uh, someone worth taking a look at. I love that. Jerry Judy's going to be out for an extended amount of time. That is six Portland Sutton and Tim Patrick. And Teddy Bridgewater is airing it out. Like he has a long – Really high average depth of target right now. He looks really good. The Broncos team is sneaky good. Good pick, Tyler. If he's out in your league, go grab him. I don't think he is, but if he's out there, go get him. And last but not least, we're going to move on to the tight end position. This is so hard to do because tight end positions kind of suck. For, like Other than the top five guys, nobody else is really there. But I'm going to pick Dawson Knox from the Buffalo Bills. Owned in 3.2% of leagues. Very low. He put up 9.7 points last week on two receptions on three targets, 17 yards and one touchdown. Pretty much tight ends are touchdown dependent. If like nobody, you pass through your slot guy, you don't pass to a tight end in between the twenties, but it's all about the touchdowns. This guy's a big dude. He's not as athletic as Travis Kelsey, but he profiles a lot like him. Um, he's a red zone favorite for Josh Allen and it's dating back to last year. Typically he gets a decent amount of those looks because Stefan Diggs is a pretty small dude compared to Dawson Knox. And, Buffalo hasn't shown it recently, but they figure to be a pretty high-powered offense, especially in the red zone. So that means more red zone targets for Dawson Knox. And honestly, he plays every single snap at tight end. Nobody else plays a snap other than him at the tight end position. I think the other guy, I don't even know his name, but he's played two snaps in the last two games total. And Dawson Knox has every other snap for tight end. So he has no competition. It's all going to be him. Up next, they play the Washington Half Smokes. And they're supposed to be a lockdown defense. But the Giants exposed them last week, and it was ridiculous. Josh Allen and the Bills are a much better offensive team, so I expect them to have way more red zone looks than the Giants did, a.k.a. more looks for Dawson Knox. Trade, what do you think? You know what? <laughs> like you said, the, the tight end position is definitely the hardest when it comes to this. Uh, and I'm sure that – I'm not sure if any of you guys have these, these gentlemen, but these gentlemen that I'm about to say, speak about are underwhelming us so far, and that's Mark Andrews for Baltimore – George Kittle at San Francisco, that four, that offense is just questionable in general. Sorry, Ty, uh, sorry, James. Um, Tyler Hig, uh, Tyler Higby, he's just not, he's just not getting it. Um, and Mike Gusecki, who I thought was going to go off, has really been kind of invisible. 
So, you know, Dawson Knox is a huge opportunity to, to take a guy, you know, in the middle of the off season, Buffalo was considering either, you know, trying to get Zach Ertz or draft a tight end. And they decided to, you know, stick with Dawson Knox. And I think Dawson Knox has kind of solidified his spot as a starting, uh, starting tight end. And to your point, he's a 90 to 99% of snaps and that gives him just more opportunity. He has six touchdowns over his last 11 games, which includes playoffs and regular season, which is, like you said, you need touchdowns if you're a tight end, if, if you want to have some value in the fantasy side. And they're up against a Washington defense that I'll be honest with you guys has been quite underwhelming this season, but it's kind of becoming a trend. They're letting a lot of yards the last few games, and that's including their playoff games. I mean, they, yeah, they, they, they stuck it to the Bucks, you know, points wise, but they still gave up 500 yards. They're giving up a lot of yards and it's becoming kind of a it's kind of becoming a trend. And um, so if, if you're looking for some help on the tight end side, I think that you might have an opportunity to, um, you know, to pick up maybe a touchdown. He's a, he's touchdown dependent. And uh, if, if uh, Josh Allen can get you to the red zone, which presumably he can, he, that's what he does. Um, he'll be in, he'll be an option in the end zone and away you go. Who would you pick up? I, you have to pick up Dawson Knox, and that's because of the ones that of the available, you know, tight ends that are less than fifty percent owned. He's the only one that has touchdowns. <laughs> so that's true. I mean, that's all you can really base it off of at this point. I like that. All right, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed my first waiver wire segment of the year. If it helps you out at all, I'll be happy. That's all I care about. Hope it helps you out. And that's it. Thanks, friend. Thank you, James. Um, sorry for being confrontational earlier with with uh, with you, Alex. You know, quite frankly, um, Josh Allen. As much as I, as much as we love him, he's he's just not quite there yet for me, fantasy wise. But I'll give him I'll give him two weeks, and we'll see how he does uh, this weekend. Um, thank you very much, James. Um, I hope you know you guys take that and run with it. Um, we hope we make your fantasy lives easier. But when we come back. We're going to talk basketball, which is just a few weeks away from starting up. We'll be back. And we're back. And Alex is back once again this week with, uh, with some basketball talk. Um, I think we're going to finish out the Eastern Conference, the upper echelon of teams. We talked about the bottom feeders, the shitty side. Now we're going to look at the polishers, the be- the beauty teams up top. <laughs> Alex, what do you got? Yeah. I, what did we call them last week? The food teams? Something like that. The yeah. Because remember, it was like, what's the opposite of shit? Food. Oh, food teams. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Is that always? Is that always? I yeah. think that's always. No, said. you're right. You're right. <laughs> I don't know. was a James thing for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, like we said, yeah, we're going to continue doing a kind of eastern conference preview and then we'll get on to the western conference you know in the following weeks uh so the top eight teams you know what teams would like traditionally make the uh playoffs so we're going to start with the surprising tyler's second favorite team now the uh, number eight seed washington wizards with a 34 and 38 record um out are robin lopez and russell westbrook in Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrezl Harrell, Aaron Holiday, Kyle Kuzma. Quite a bit of change going on in the nation's capital. Uh, Eric, the Washington Wizards, did they get better with this trade? What, like, what do you see for them this upcoming? I think they got better, actually. Um, 
they really got nothing to lose. Come on, they're the Wizards. Um, they get rid of ball hog Westbrook. You know, he sets his record last year, the most triple doubles, but everything, you know, revolves if he wants to get his stats padded up that night or not. Um, he's gone. That they from the Lakers, they get, as you mentioned, uh, Trez, fuck him. He's a piece of shit. I don't think he's going to do much. Uh, Kuzma and Caldwell Pope will, I think, be good players for their team. I think Kuzma um, showed us that he could actually play pretty well in this league those first few years with the Lakers. Um, and now he's kind of got a little, I think, less pressure on him. You know, playing for the Lakers is a lot of pressure, especially then once they get LeBron and the big dogs. Um, but, you know, Kuzma is going to play with a chip on his shoulder. I think he's going to surprise some people. Um, Caldwell Pope, he's a good shooter. He was a good, like, role player for the Lakers when they when they got their chip. Um, so I think Kuzma and Caldwell Pope will actually add some, you know, more of a team vibe to that team. Trez is kind of up in the air. Like, he's shown us he could be good. Um, it kind of took Lou Will to just create everything and feed him passes. But – Trez could do good. Um, just depends on how his attitude's going to be, which is always dog shit. Um, Why do you hate him so much? <laughs> the main reason is because I think we all knew he was going to leave the Clippers, um, and he got offered like a big giant contract by the Pistons, as well as Sacramento Kings, and he kind of led everyone on saying that's what he was going to do. And then you know, two days later, he jo he joins the team across the street for less money. Um, and obviously we see it didn't work out for him. So, you know, he, he, and we offered him, we offered to try to keep him on and, uh, and stick around with Lou Will and that, that he didn't want to do that. And then it just shows Lou Will really kind of made who he was. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad player. It's just, it's kind of up in the air with him, but I think uh, Dimwitty is a great, is a good player. He's developed well in that Brooklyn system. He, I think was out all last season after getting hurt. Um, so he's a good six man. He's going to come in and help them out. I think they're going to play with the nothing to lose mentality and probably get that eight seed again or be very close to it. Um, I mean, speaking on Trez's behalf, not that I like know him personally or anything, but wouldn't you rather play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis than whoever was on the Pistons? and the Sacramento Kings yeah, to try to win probably. a championship, you know, just to give him like a little bit of, like a little bit of credit. I mean, he didn't play that well for the Lakers all season. So whatever, yeah. but um, focusing on the wizards, um, you know, in general, they got rid of one player and got, you know, three quality guys, um, you know, and a lot of this is Kyle Kuzma, kind of the last of the Lakers draft picks from all those trash years is now gone. Um, you know, we've seen Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle really blossom once they've left LA and they're not in the Los Angeles LeBron James shadow. Um, you know, obviously Julius Randle's done well in New York, which is, you know, even more high pressure, but I, you know, I think this is kind of one of those trades that's going to be beneficial to both teams. Um, I think this Wizards team got better. There's more depth. Um, you know, like you said, Eric Russell Westbrook, you know, typically does hold the ball quite a bit. Um, you know, and this gives the Bradley Beal just more space and more shooters. Um, and, you know, I think the Wizards, you know, could easily make a playoff run again this year. Um, moving on to probably one of the another one of the more disappointing teams in the Eastern Conference last year, the Boston Celtics. Um, you know, I had them finishing as like a top four team last year. They ended up number seven at 36 and 36. 
Um, out the goat Taco Fall, Evan Fournier, Tristan Thompson, and Kemba Walker. In Al Horford, Enos Cantor, and Dennis Schroeder after fumbling the bag as he uh, posted on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it was the other day. Um, you know, if case guys don't know what I'm talking about, the Lakers offered him like four years, 84 mil. He said no, went to the open market and got like one year six from the Celtics. Um, for people who don't know math, 84 million, more money than six million. <laughs> Just in case no one uh, picked up on that. Uh, so, Tyler, the Boston Celtics, um, kind of a weird season. Um, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown had huge years, and they were kind of the entire team. Um, you know, in, if you're in Boston and you play for the Celtics, like, you are expected to be competing for a championship every single year because you're the Boston Celtics. What do you see from this team uh, for this year moving forward? Yeah, definitely, definitely a weird team. Um, obviously, you know, the head coach, you know, quitting and going to the front office also kind of a weird thing uh he, he made some moves in his in his first uh, offseason as the as the gm for for the, for the celtics um i think they the, the players they got rid of i think were players that they needed to get rid of i think they got rid of guys that were a defensive liability on their team um i think they added a couple of gritty veterans that are much better defensively that i think are going to add value to his boston celtics team uh the, you know the dennis schroeder signing interesting on his end but i think it was a really good value deal for the celtics i think they got a very good player for for a, a very good uh, value um hopefully and he's probably going to be motivated to play well so that next time he does get offered that much money he'll actually take it um i think the pieces they added will complement each other and i think they'll be better than they were last year i just don't think they gelled very well as a team i think the pieces they got are going to fit but again i'm not super confident about it to be honest with you um, we're going to kind of have to see how this team um, does. And, you know, a, a new head coach, a lot, a lot of new player, players. But as you said, the guys that they've built their team around are still there. And it's really going to run through those guys. Um, so we'll see. I, I see them as a middle of the pack slash, you know, kind of bottom three, four uh, team. I think they'll – I definitely think they're, they're a playoff team. Um, but I don't think they're going to go very far. They're by no means like a top – you know, five team in the Eastern conference, but um, I think they're still going to be winning. Team. I think, I think we'll be better than, than they were last year. Ollie agrees. Ollie agrees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, is that an agree or is he disagreeing? Ollie's big Celtics know. fan or what do you think? Um, <laughs> if, do you think? if Jason Tatum has an MVP like season, can the Celtics vault into like the top four? Maybe it seems like he's on oh, that I, path. He had breakout year. Yeah, year. I don't know. I feel like he did have a breakout year, but you know the rest of the team didn't really play that well. So I mean, I, as 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 good as Tatum is, he's going to be great. But are the other pieces going to complement each other to be a top four team? I don't. I don't know. I, I even 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 if Tatum has an MVP season, are the rest of the pieces going to go? I, I know. It's, I, I know it's 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 a star driven league, but that Eastern Conference, Conference. is really good. Um, I don't know. I just don't see him being a top four. Okay. Uh, yeah, for me, you know, the Kemba Walker situation just did not work in Boston. He was hurt the entire time. He didn't really seem to mesh. Um, you know, I think, you know, he gets a reset, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, you know, Dennis Schroeder had a very up-and-down year in Los Angeles last year. Um, you know, obviously the injuries to uh, AD and LeBron didn't help with that, but, you know, if he can be what he was in OKC in Detroit, you know, 
he could be a legitimate point guard for this team, you know, and Dennis Schroeder, Jalen Brown, and uh, Jason Tatum, that's a pretty good, you know, backcourt-ish, you know, Jason Tatum kind of floats a little bit, but um, this Celtics team, I think, is one of those harder ones to really predict. They could be really good, or they could miss the playoffs. I literally have no idea. Um, moving south to the South Beach of Miami, uh, the Miami Heat finished in the sixth spot with a 40-32 and 32 record, you know, after making the NBA Finals the year previously. Uh, same thing, a lot of change on this team. So out, Trevor Reza, Goran Dragic, Andre Iguodala, Kendrick Nunn. In, uh, Toronto Raptor, great. Kyle Lowry, Markeith Morris, and P.J. Tucker coming off that win uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Tyler's going back-to-back here. Uh, Miami, same thing. Had a really weird season, you know, after making the finals, um, you know, in 2020 in the bubble. A lot of injuries, up-and-down play. Um, you know, they finish as the sixth seed. They get swept by the Bucks in the first round. Uh, this They've kind of reset. They've gotten, I wouldn't say younger, because, like, all the guys that they brought in, you know, big names are definitely veterans. Um, what do you think of the Miami Heat's offseason moves, and can they uh, kind of rebound from a wonky season last year? Yeah. Um, contrary to Celtics, I think I'm way more confident with these moves that the Heat made uh, versus Celtics. I, I think that they got – better for sure I don't think I don't think a lot of people would disagree with that I think Kyle Lowry is everything that this team needs uh he, he gives them he you know is, is a versatile point guard he's going to take that point guard duties off of Jimmy Butler and have him run that offense Butler can do what he does best which is shoot the ball um he's a high he's a high basketball IQ um and he's going to bring that great leadership and that championship experience to this team that I think desperately needs that um and PJ Tucker I I like that fit too he's a one he's a great defender he he brings value on that side of the ball and as i also said championship experience so he's he's, he's just coming off a, ch- a championship season with the with the bucks you know they did lose quite a few good pieces um as you mentioned but i think what they added overrides what they lost um i think they're going to be a top five team in the east they're definitely going to win a playoff series and i think that they depending on how well they play i think could be in the conversation to be eastern conference uh, champions Interesting. I think I agree with you. I do think they got better. Um, I definitely think they vaulted some of the teams that were ahead of them in the standings, you know, as we finished last year. Um, you know, if they were healthy all year, they probably would have finished with a better record. You know, they were down in that like 9-10 seed for a lot of the season and then came on strong at the end um, once they finally got healthy. Uh, I love Kyle Lowry. You know, he's like always been you know one of those teammates that people just value so much um he is getting up there 36 37 uh we'll see how much he's got left in the tank um obviously he's got quite a big tank referring to his ass again um but i do think that miami he should be better um and it'll be interesting to see how jimmy butler you know does with all these new guys because he's on the other end not always known as being like the greatest teammate in the world he pushes guys but um We'll see what happens with Miami. Um, They should be, you know, much better this year. Uh, Moving on to the Atlanta Hawks. They were 41 and 31 last year, finishing in the five seed. Uh, Out is Chris Dunn and Tony Snell. In is Jaheel Okafor and DeLon Wright. So not a ton of change going on there in Atlanta. James, the Atlanta Hawks, um, you know, had a big series win over, you know, um, the Knicks and then, just destroyed the Sixers and made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. 
the Atlanta Hawks, what are you thinking? In all good things. They didn't make a lot of offseason acquisitions, but that's okay because the biggest moves they made was the fact that they were able to keep coach Nate McMillan on the bench and re-sign John Collins. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, McMillan was an assistant to the previous coach, Nate, I think his name was, Borgenson, whatever it was. He was only there for half the year, but then Nate took over, and he did amazing. After McMillan took over the team, the Hawks had the best record in the NBA for that span, and they continued to do that in the playoffs. And now they have a full offseason with Nate McMillan as a head coach. You get to install schemes. You get to learn tendencies, and you get more comfortable within the offense that you're given. And on top of that, he get the coach now knows more people's tendencies too. So he's able to call better plays. As an assistant, you don't get all that. But now they're all playing under his system to see what he can do. And on top of that, there was supposed to be a lot of drama with John Collins. And the fact that he was going to restructure his career and or, um, his contract, but there wasn't. It was quiet. It was done well and fast. That tells you that the, this front office and the coaching staff and the players are all on the same page. Typically, that when there's a lot of distractions with that and it gets into the media it kind of destroys teams right now it's just like john collins was given a contract signed the contract he's ready to play that says a lot they did get being a center to back up clint capella because clint capella is a monster but he can't play every second of every game so they got a, they got a good backup center there and delon wright add some explosiveness off the bench there this team is full of sharpshooters all the way through trey young bogdanovich herder even John Collins can step out there and shoot the three. This team's going to be very hard to defend. And honestly, they're, they're going to go a long way this year. I see them being a top five team in the East. So they were, they were the five seed last year. Can they vault any of these other four teams or even the Miami Heat? Can they finish above them again? Like, what do you think? What do you think they're like? Are they Eastern Conference championship contenders? Yeah. Or I think are any- they like still a year away? They can. They I mean they were contenders last year. They're they're gonna do it again. It's quite simply. I don't like what you guys had said about Kyle Lowry. I respect Kyle Lowry through and through, but the Miami Heat offense is fast paced. They don't run a lot of set plays. Kyle Lowry is a little bit slower. He runs set plays. I don't know how they're gonna gel with uh, Spolstra wanting to push the ball and Jimmy and Bam wanting to push the ball up the court when he's taking a sweet ass time because he has to see the defense and see what to call them. I don't know if that's going to mesh well. I guess we'll find out, but I absolutely think the Hawks are going to be better than the Heat. And I absolutely think they're going to be Eastern Conference contenders, given what they just did. And the fact that they have another offseason and a full year to kind of be together and learn each other's tendencies and be more, be better teammates with each other. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I can put them in like the top three, top two, you know, contenders because the depending on what happens with a certain team in Philadelphia, um, which we'll get to in a little bit, there's definitely two kind of heavyweights at the top of the Eastern conference. And I'm not sure if Atlanta is better than those two teams right now. Um, but I, I they do see, seem like a team that can grow a lot this year. Uh, moving on to one of the, again, one of the surprise teams in the NBA season, uh, the number four seed, they got a home first round playoff game, the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, also finished with a 41 and 31 record and then lost to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, James uh, loves this next team for reasons I still don't completely understand. Um, <laughs> but out is Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton in Evan Fournier and the aforementioned Kemba Walker. Um, you know, this team 
surprised, kind of surprised the NBA landscape last year by, you know, having a record above t- uh, 10 games over 500, um, you know, making the playoffs, being, the, being a top four seed. Uh, can they do it again, James? Uh, again, yes. The Knicks are a defensive juggernaut. They remind me a lot of the New York Islanders and the NHL. They're good defensively, but they needed to add offense. And they did that. Kemba Walker is good for at least 20 points per game and five assists. He runs that offense really well. Yeah, he didn't mesh in Boston because there was a lot of people who wanted the ball. The Knicks is the opposite. They don't really want the ball. They don't score a lot. They just play defense. So give the ball to Kemba Walker, let him run your offense, and that's scoring right off the bat. They didn't lose that many guys defensively at all. The only thing that's really kind of a liability is Derek Rose in the defensive end. But that's okay because he's not going to be playing starter minutes anymore. Kemba Walker is. The biggest weakness, like I mentioned, is the offense. They were bottom third the last year in average scoring. Kemba Walker should fix that. Everybody else is taking another step forward. And you got a starting lineup with Kemba, Evan Fournier, a shooting guard. He's a spot-up three-point shooter. R.J. Barrett is going to take yet another step forward after he did this last year. He's, he was good for a double-double. Julius Randle is going to be a, a perennial all-star. He's a good player. And Mitchell Robinson, we didn't see a lot of him last year at center because he was injured two times with really bad injuries back-to-back. So they kind of fixed that. I hope they fix that with drafting center Ty Jones with the 19th overall pick. He needs a year to kind of get better, needs some seasoning, some veteran leadership and mentorship. But if Mitchell Robinson is healthy, that's going to add a lot of paint protection. People can't drive on Mitchell Robinson. He's like 7'2 and blocks so many shots. If he can stay healthy, this team is going to be yet again another defensive juggernaut with some added help on the offensive end with Kemba Walker. Yeah, my worry is if Kemba can stay healthy. Um, you know, he had, didn't really show that in Boston. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. So if Kemba can stay healthy, I think the Knicks have a good shot. In my estimation, you know, or just feeling, I don't really know, they kind of feel like a team that could drop down. Um, but you're right. I do think with Tibbs and Julius Randle leading that team, um, they'll be a defensive juggernaut again, and they should, you know, make the playoffs again. But it wouldn't surprise me if either the Hawks or the Heat kind of jumped them in the standings. Uh, moving on to, you know, kind of what was the big three. We talked about it a lot last year. Uh, that third seed, Milwaukee Bucks, your eventual NBA champions. Uh, they finished with a 46 and 26 record or 28. I don't know. I can't read my own handwriting. It doesn't matter. Uh, out is Jeff Teague uh, and PJ Tucker in Grace Allen, George Hill, Rodney Hood. They still have, you know, arguably the best player in basketball, Giannis, uh, Chris Middleton. Traden, first time we hear from you in this basketball segment. Can they repeat? I'm going to say yes. And the reason I say that is because. This team, this team, ever since uh, Coach Mike, and I'll correct me if I'm wrong, Budenholzer, Budenholzer, I think that's his name. Yeah. Um, he he has really turned this team around defensively. Like he came in, they they went two, two years in a row with being the best defensive team in the league. They they play a they at least at least they got ousted as a very basic defense defense that got kind of um, you know split apart in that in that uh, bubble run. And so last, last year, year they actually took a little bit of a different approach and changed things up. And while they did regress on uh, defensively, they were still just good enough to, to, you know, be in, be in the pack and actually be able to, to react to different types of, you know, offenses that came at them. On top of that, oh, you man. have, uh, you have a litany of, of great players in, you know, uh, Giannis, 
um, you know, among others who I think that they just came together both offensively and defensively, and they just beat teams down. Uh, And I think that they're going to do that again. Do I think they're going to have an an easy path? Absolutely not. I think that you're going to see the next team we're going to talk about who I don't, aren't going to, I'm not going to be talking about. Um, They're going to be healthy. So it's going to be a little bit harder to get there, I think. Uh, And that would be the only team that I, I would say the Nets, you know, being the team you're going to talk about as the only team that I really worry about, um, be, just because I'd be talking about the next team after that. And I think that there's going to be a little bit of changes there. Um, I, I think it's going to come down to how much they're going to want to fight for home court. And if they just, if they, if they go fall back into more of a Tampa Bay lightning style where they're like, I don't give a fuck about the regular season. Just get me into the, in, this game in the postseason. You could see them, you could see them vying for, you know, only a third or fourth spot. Are they really, do they want that home court advantage? Are they going to fight for it? That's that, that'll be the biggest question. I think this is a, you know, top, top four team for sure. It's just how much do they want the, the, uh, um, do they want the home court advantage or they, would they, would they rather, you know, take their foot up the gas a little bit and make sure that they're healthy for that, for that long playoff run. They've they played a lot of basketball. Uh, I will, I will say that I think Giannis is going to have a lot more space than he did um, last season. And I think that, that is because you're bringing in George Hill who led the NBA um, at 46% from three. So nobody guarded PJ Tucker. Cause he did like, why? And now they're moving to, to now they're going to move to defend George Hill who actually, you know, has the ability to, sh- to shoot from three. You're going to see this bucks team get better from three. You're going to have, you're going to, you're going to see Giannis have a little bit more opportunity from three. You're going to have everybody having more opportunity from three. The, 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 they're going to, teams are going to have to defend more guys. And if you give Giannis even more space, you're fucked. So I'm pretty sure that that move was, a, was a huge, huge move for them to, to bring in a little bit more offense, get those points. There's they're, they're a rebound juggernaut. So you don't have to worry about that. They're, they're, they're one of those strong, strong defensive teams. You know, I'm going to watch out. I'd, I'd watch out if this, if the, if I was this team, because yes, they, they did rank fifth and three and um, three point percentage. I could see that increasing. I could, I could see this be teaming a top three. Um, the, the thing, the thing is uh, the free throws need to get, uh, need to get hampered out. They were 23rd in free throws. And that's mainly because Antetokounmpo is the only one who gets fouled and he fucking can't shoot a free throw to save his life. So hopefully he worked on that this summer. <laughs> But yeah, this team's going to be vying for a for a defense of their uh, of their championship for sure. Yeah, I agree. This this definitely feels like a top three, you know, top two, even the top seed in the East. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't really like try to go for that top seed and rest up for the playoffs because um, unless something catastrophic happens, they'll be in the playoffs. Um, you know, it is kind of a catch-22 with Giannis because his greatest skill is driving to the basket, um, which is how you get fouled the most. Um, so, yeah, unless he gets better at shooting free throws, it's going to continue to be an issue. Um, but you're right. There's shooters all over the place. You know, driving kicks, that's been a part of the NBA for, you know, a long time now. And it's even more so now with how much teams are shooting three-pointers. So, yeah, you know, it's a very well-rounded team. Great offense, great defense, great coaching. Seems like a seems like a slam dunk, you know, pun pun intended. Ah. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on to the number two spot uh, with a forty eight and twenty four record, the Brooklyn Nets, who just could not get healthy kind of all year, and they still ended up as the two seed. 
Uh, in is LaMarcus Aldridge back from health issues that made him retire early. Doctor signed off, so he's back in. Patty Mills uh, and Paul Millsap out. Spencer Dinwiddie, Jeff Green, and DeAndre Jordan. Um, Eric, everyone's kind of, you know, vaulting this Nets team as the eventual NBA champions, like the favorites in the East. Is that how you feel? What do you think about this Nets team? Yeah, they're going to be good again. We know that. Um, it's more just can they play like a team uh, enough throughout the season and then can they stay healthy? You know, they were one of the teams last year that there was always an injury going on with one of those big three guys and or a COVID situation or whatever it was. And so they didn't really form all the chemistry of playing together. Um you know, I don't know if they can actually form the chemistry of all three of them playing together because they're all, you know, big dogs and they all want the ball. They all want to do their thing. So, you know, they got a little screwed over when Kyrie went down. Um, and, you know, maybe it was Durant's foot being too big because his big toe literally just just crossed the line on that three-point shot that, you know, sent him into overtime in game seven. And if his foot was back, they win that and they move on which they would have beat the Bucs, but that's a could have, would have, should have oh. thing. Um, but, you know, they re-signed. They played, like, the they played the Bucks in that, that game seven was against the Bucs. They would have played oh, yeah, the Bucs. Yeah, I'm saying they could have actually taken the Bucs out if they win that game, if Durant's oh, yeah. toe isn't that as yeah, yeah. big and long. But, um, yeah, you know, you mentioned these guys they signed, you know, Paul Millsap. Maybe he had some depth um, for the center position. LaMarcus Aldridge comes out of retirement after a few months. Um, he actually had a good little showing with them before he did retire, but we'll see what actually happens with that. They just, they got the super team and they got a lot of big dogs on this team. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see through a full season, maybe not as harmed with COVID, you know, how this team really forms and if they are a team or if they're just a bunch of talent thrown together. Um, but if I were them, it's like, Take have your foot slightly on the gas pedal throughout the season. Maybe not worry as much about your seed. Just get everything ready to go come playoff time. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. There's a lot of injury issues. I mean, all three of the big three, Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie, were injured at some point throughout the season. Um, you know, James Harden is kind of like a non-factor within, during the postseason. Um, he kind of toughed it out, but he was not the same guy. Uh, that's a lot of minutes and a lot of ball hogs on that team. So, you know, I agree with you, Eric. They, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but they did not play more than I'd say like 15 games, all three of them, all season last year. So hopefully if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, they can, you know, play together this season and actually get some chemistry. Um, but even with all that, yeah, if it wasn't for Kevin Durant's big toe and big-ass feet, they were going to make the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, it's, it's, you know, game inches, just like every other goddamn sport. Um, moving on to probably the most interesting team or interesting storyline of this NBA offseason, and it's still going on, and we don't have a resolution, and it's very confusing. But the number one seed, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, with a 49 and 23 record, uh, got ousted in the second round by the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, out is George Hill, as we talked about earlier, going up to Milwaukee and Dwight Howard going back to the Lakers for a third trip around the front of them. 
Uh, N is Andre Dremond. I okay, don't really understand that. But trading, it's all about uh, Ben Simmons. Is he going to get traded? What's going on with that? So first things first, is trading is Ben Simmons going to start the season a 76er? Oh God. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm I'm gonna say yes. And the reason why is because what do you get in return? Right? That's what it's about. They're, they're, the, the 76ers are gonna look for a guy that that that'll give them return. And I have such a fucking problem with Ben Simmons right now. It is unfucking believable. And the reason is, is because how do you have the audacity to, to, to come out and say, hey, I, I want to trade after all your team wanted you to do is just be a better player. They're not asking you to, to, to clean the arena after the after the, the game. They're not asking you to do bullshit. They're asking you to own up to your fucking $200 million contract. And then you go ahead and say, no, I'm too much of a pussy and you're going to ask for a trade after, after a terrible postseason where offensively you look, you, you want to talk about seeing ghosts. This motherfucker saw ghosts. Let me tell you, he's an amazing defensive player. Uh, and I think that that might give him some, you know, trade value and hopefully, you know, wherever, whoever he, I, again, I don't think it's going to be right at the beginning of the season. I think that, I think it's going to be kind of a Jack Eichel type of situation where it might be, you know, might bleed into the season after all, I do, that is what I now believe. Um, it's just taken too much um, time. So they need to, they need to see, you know, they, they need to see how, you know, if there's any good trade value, because quite honestly, I, I don't see much right now. And I think that he, he's not even sure of himself. Um, but he, I guess he's sure of himself enough to ask for a trade. So <laughs> it's amazing how it's amazing how young people think these days. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, so Ben Simmons is a 76er to start the season. If that's so, I mean, I don't know if he's even going to show up to training camp. There seems to be reports that he won't. Um, you know, on the trade talks, what the 76ers are asking seems to be pretty outrageous. For, I mean, you know, great defensive player, a 6'11", 6'10", point guard, can't never has never been able to shoot well. Um, you know, is still a great facilitator. I mean, I don't know. They're asking for like multiple starters and like four picks. Like they want six six pieces back for him, whether it's picks or players. Seems like a lot for a guy who's six eleven and passed open a wide open dunk in Game Seven. Uh, but I don't know. It kind of feels like damaged goods at this point to me. But so Ben Simmons is on the 76ers. Feels like it will be a distraction. If he is there and he does show up and he plays, what do you think this team can even be with him there? Um, you know, it even seems like Joel Embiid has kind of thrown shade at him, you know, who is their best player, you know, on yeah. on Twitter or whatever. So let's uh, l- let's let's go to fantasy land where where Ben Simmons is a 76er. He shows up to training camp and he's not a distraction. It's not going to happen, but let's say it does. This team's good. This team's good. I mean, it's just him as Joel Embiid, who's uh, probably going to be running for MVP again. Um, ben Simmons is a defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, let's, let's just throw it out there. He's defensively great. Uh, and he can, he can actually pass. Like, that's good. He can't do anything else, but he can pass. Uh, Tobias Harris was fantastic in the regular season, and that's good. Um, 
and you know he he's a, he's a good supporting role. Danny Green's a good um, supporting role for for Embiid and, and Simmons. This team this team has the has the ability to to come up a you know and, and play well, be a top be a, come a top four seed in in this in this conference. If again in fantasy land, okay, I'm, I, this is not going to happen. This is fantasy land. Um, that regardless of what land we're going to talk about, you're dealing with a Nets team that is finally healthy that Nets team is going to be a one or two seed. There's no doubt. Like there's just no fucking doubt about it. And then uh, if you, if you subscribe to the fact, if you subscribe to the idea that the bucks are going to go for a home court advantage, they're going to be the other one or one or two seeds. So you're sitting with a bunch of teams that are really settling in. You, you, you can throw the, throw the Knicks in there that, you know, they're, they're settling in They're They're trying to establish their offense. And this team is, uh, is dysfunctional at this point. Um, and so I, I really worry about their ability to, I, I, I mean, you know, if we're looking at our, our, our shit list from last week, they're definitely better than most of those teams, but with Joel Embiid alone, but I don't know if they're going to be able to make the regular season run they did last season. I just don't see it regardless if you, if you're in fantasy or, or real land and in real land, they're, they're flirting with a, a six or seventh, maybe even eight seed because, because of the dysfunction just because of the and there's so many teams that are doing the right things in the east and we've talked about this the east is getting stronger when we started this podcast you guys shit on the east and it well well deserved but you can't do that anymore because they're actually a solid teams now so and there are teams that are doing the right thing so yeah i you know for me the eastern conference kind of feels like a top two with the bucks and the nets and then another like five or six teams with the Heat and the Hawks and the Knicks and the Sixers and maybe the Celtics. And then there's like three or four teams that could be that eight seed. But yeah, this it it feels like for both Ben Simmons and the 76ers, a divorce is a good idea. Mm-hmm. 76ers need to figure out what they're like can realistically get from him. They probably should have traded him last year, but didn't happen. Um you know, they offered uh, – they could have done James Harden for Ben Simmons and the Sixers turned it down and – brutal. Um, yeah, the 70s – we'll have to see what happens. We've got a couple more weeks. Um, I believe the first game's like October 19th or something right around there. I don't know what's going to go on in Philly. You know, you still got Doc Rivers, who's a great coach. You're right. Even if Ben Simmons doesn't show up, that's still a good team. Still a team that should probably make the postseason, but – uh good luck philly fans it seems rough um other than that trading that's the eastern conference uh we'll get into the western conference coming up here Heck yeah um thank you alex that was a that was a fun discussion um i think i feel like we're all getting more well versed in the uh, in the basketball world um and i say that about myself because i I kind of impressed myself there. <laughs> that said, um, we're gonna we're gonna throw it back to uh, to Eric um, after this break, and he's gonna t- take us through the Ryder Cup. Um, we are one week into the f- um, into the golf season. They had their they had some crappy tournament last weekend. Nobody gives a shit about. But hey, Alex, they started last week, so they had like no off season. <laughs> they never they're never not playing. They're, 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 just playing. <laughs> they're never not playing. <laughs> But, th- but this uh, Ryder Cup we're talking about is a big one. So uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that. With health concerns on the rise, it's as important as ever to keep your people safe. Dimer isn't another BS COVID company. They've been developing their tech to kill germs and save lives since 2014. 
Dimer's original UBC products have won them partnerships with some of the best technology companies in the country and earned them a spot on Time Magazine's Best Inventions of 2020. Dimer started out disinfecting airplanes. Now they're in hospitals, athletic facilities, hotels, classrooms, basically anywhere people might have been sick. When it comes to keeping your players, employees, guests, and customers in your facility safe, trust Dimer. For TLDR listeners, they are offering free disinfection as a service in select areas. So that means they will come disinfect your facility for free. You can take them up on this offer by visiting dimeruv.com and at dimeruv on social media. Use code TLDR for your first disinfection as a service appointment for free. That's dimer like diner with an M as in Mike Trout. Ever heard of him? Kill more germs, prevent more infections, save more lives. D-I-M-E-R-U-V dot com. And we're back. Eric's going to take us through the Ryder Cup, which is which is a tournament that happens every two years. So this we don't get to talk about this every year. So Eric, take it away, buddy. Thank you, Trayden. Yep, like you mentioned, uh, golf is back. Um, they had like one week off, basically. Um, you know, with COVID restrictions, all that, I think it sped everything up. But still, Alex is right. It does kind of just always, it's always just on. Um, so here we go. I, I would call this the last big tournament, but I guess you can call it the first big tournament. Um, but it's really... <laughs> What it is, is it's really a, a team matchup or a biennial, which is a word I don't really ever hear much, a biennial <laughs> men's golf competition. Um, it's USA versus Europe. And this uh, match occurs every two years where it switches back and forth between USA and Europe. Uh, what helps is that each team has at least 15 guys. They have 15 guys total and at least six of those guys are automatic qualifiers which are the players that played the best this season. So in other words, there's consistency. Um, if you like to bet, you know, this is probably your best time to bet on golf because you're going to get the most consistent, relevant players of that season. Um, so, you know, right away off the bat, so we can get Alex out of the way of the golf talk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know Alex actually likes golf a little bit more, ladies and gentlemen. Um he, he puts it on at work and he does glance at it because we always talk about it. Um, he's becoming a fan more and more every episode. But uh, Alex, right away, I'm just, I just want to ask you, like, what do you think of this since it's more of a team format? And we always do say, like, golf is it's kind of on your own. It's not a team sport. Um, but, you know, we got USA versus Europe um, and it's a team. It's a team battle. So what's your take on that? I mean, it's cool, you know, being from the United States or someone for me to root for since I don't like have a favorite golfer that I watch, obviously. How can you explain to me how the scoring works? Is it just like a cumulative? Your whole team has like the lowest amount of shots. Is it like Bob goes hole one and then like fucking whoever goes hole two and you like switch off? Because that would be funny. Yeah. Like, um, you can only play one, like, one every like six holes. Yeah, I actually don't know the answer to that question. So, I do. Um, let's ask what? Traden because Traden does. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's been two years since I watched the Ryder Cup. The last here, let me put it this way: the last time it was on, it was in Europe, and it was like four a.m. 
like every round started at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And I was in Hawaii. So it was really like even more work to the time. But here we go. So you're used to, you probably have only been used to seeing golf score. Like it's all about the stroke play. Like you just try to get yeah. under par, right? This is a little bit different. So this is what they call match play. So it's a whole, it's a, it's a, it's a per hole type of situation, right? They're going to be the, our guys are going to be split into two, uh, into foursome or twosomes rather. And each, each twosome, one from the, uh, from the uh, Americans, one from the European side, they, they actually work to, like each team works together and they either alternate shots or they use um, each other's best ball. And your team is trying to beat the other team in terms of the hole. Like you're trying to get it in less strokes than them. And you, if you win the hole after 18, or if you win the most holes after 18, you you get a point, right? Um, the, yeah, you get, there's a total of 28 points and that the, the, the points, like how they stack up, I'm not quite sure. Um, but for the first two days, it's, it's that, you know, dual twosome type of deal. And then on the last day, they do a singles match where um, six guys from each, from each side, as Eric said, do, do a single, like do a, a match play um, against each other. Um, that'll happen on Sunday. So it's a little bit different type of dynamic with, you know, going back, either you're using each other's shots or you're working together to try and get the best ball and try to, you know, beat the other team in terms of, you know, each hole. So, and therefore, that's why I did not know because just listen to how confusing that was, everybody. Yeah, but, it was super confusing. But at least thank you, Traden, for explaining that. Um, in other words, yeah, it's like a point system, and you just look at normally in golf, you want the minus, minus points you know, and have the least amount of strokes, but it's more of a point system and you're building off of points there. Um, but then I guess, Alex, you kind of answered my other question. You have a dog in the fight and it would be the Americans. So, you know, um, it's, it's one of those things, obviously it's harder because now football's going. And then, so it's going to be like football Sunday, week three, things are starting to, you know, get, get more interesting you're seeing the teams that are breaking out etc and then it's like well here's the Ryder cup too you know we we got to watch this too maybe we'll throw it on the side james on a computer or something um but then trading i'm going to you next um i'm going what are your team predictions uh what players stick out to you do you like the captain picks for each team and then Obviously, I got to bring it up. DeChambeau and Kepka will be on the same team for America, so they have to set aside the differences for this one weekend. So, what's your take on all that? Yeah, um, just starting up from the top, um, we are a young team. Uh, we are we are definitely younger. I'm going to say by I think it's like on average like five or six years versus the European team. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, experience on that other side, but what I love about our team is we have a lot of, we have a lot of rookies when it comes to the Ryder cup, but they are very, very good rookies coming in. Some of the, some, in my opinion, some of the best um, golfers that we've ever seen, uh, you know, Colin Morikawa sticks out big. I think he's, I think he's the next big thing. The kid's 24 years old. He's going to compliment someone like Deschambeau that can't, that can't hit a fair way to save his life he's going to come up and, and be able to, to pin it right next to the, you know, pin every single shot. Um, look at Xander, uh, Xander Shoffley won the Olympics for us. Um, Harry English has played very, very well. Scotty Scheffler's played very well. Patrick Cantley won the PGA. Uh, you have DJ who's always, who is always solid. And then you, and then you have the guys that are just, you know, always there. Uh, Jordan Speed's been coming back up. And then you look at Justin Thomas. He's one of my favorites. 
we, we have, we have a very, very strong lineup. Um, even though they have John Rahm over there and, you know, Rory McIlroy, um, and, you know, a couple uh, amongst others, um, I, I think that we have a, a big, strong matchup. And I, I, I like the ideas. I, I don't know how the captains are going to allocate their teams, but like I said, I would like to see Bryson c- go up with a, with a more accurate um, iron player so that, you know, you can, you can have him bomb it off the tee and then you, ha- and then you have a nice save for that second shot. You know, you can, you know, you get some accuracy there. Um, I want to see, I want to see Brooks with someone like uh, Jordan Spieth. Maybe, maybe Jordan Spieth could, sh- sh- could sh- kept up and, uh, and humble him a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I just see some, I just see some good ideas um, for, for the matchups. Um, and, uh, and I, I think that we're poised to, to do very, very well. Um, the captain picks, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little bit confused by that part. Um, so I, 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 who, who we, I think they picked Tony Finau. He's, he's a perennial, um, you know, top 10 player, Xander Shoffley, Olympic gold medalist, um, Jordan Spieth's been playing very, very well as of late. Um, Harry English, Daniel Berger and Scotty Scheffler. All those guys have been in, you know, very, very good spots. All these picks were mostly rookies. So um, we're putting a lot of faith in these young kids and, and I like it because the, the game's, the game's gotten really game's gotten younger. It's gotten really good. And, um, and I, I feel really good about who we, who we have picked here. Hey, that's, that is a great answer. Um, I didn't even think about that, like teaming up, teaming up the distance with the accuracy and then teaming up, you know, speed to humble Kepka. These are actually all good tactics. Um, and then just to throw it on the European side. So we show them a little love. Um, USA, you no, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to mention John Rom, of course, he he's gonna be the big dog for them, Rory, of course, as well. Um, Victor Lee Holland Westwood played very, very well, a young, age. yeah. Lee Westwood is a guy that has played really good this year, and he's an older, older golf fellow, but he's kind of come recreated a name for himself. He lost two tournaments in a row on a Sunday by like one stroke when he was leading. Yeah, Victor Hovland is up and coming. He's the guy that went driver off the deck like a year ago that um, James sent us, and then I started trying to do it. Didn't work. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you know, they got they got Sergio Garcia. He won a Masters in the past. He hasn't. He's played all right. Shane Lowry won a major like two years ago. So, you know, USA seems to be in favor of this one, and hopefully we'll come out and dominate. Um, let's get to Tyler, you know. So Tyler, even though you wouldn't play a major course for free, we know it's not about the money <laughs> since there's no payout for the winners of this tournament. Um, it's more just pride. And then I got all confused earlier, but basically USA is leading in the amount of wins, but this was before the UK had separated from Europe or something like that. And then, so now I, I go to Wikipedia because that's more uh, important and meaningful to me. So Europe since then has 11 wins and USA has nine wins. Um, so let's get back on the USA train, Tyler. What will it take for USA to get closer to uh, beating Europe and passing up those 11 wins they have over us? Yeah, I mean, in simple terms, they just got to play better golf than the Europeans. But um, <laughs> obviously... I think this is a really, really big tournament for the United States. You know, they recently, they have not done so well in the Ryder Cup. Honestly, in my recent memory, I don't ever them ever winning. I'm sure and they've won a couple here and there. But in my lifetime, I just know that Europe tends to dominate this event. 
Um, and I would love that to change because we're all Americans here. I think we would love for Team USA to dominate this event. You know, no matter what it is, we want USA to win whatever sport, event, whatever it is, go Team USA. Um, I think what I like about this team as training kind of outlined, you know, a lot of young guys, a lot of rookies, but, you know, we got a lot of talent on that team. You know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of like the, the, the young up-and-comers versus kind of the old-timers, the guys that have been around and done it, which – Arguably in golf is probably more important, but we're playing in on us soil. I think we got a lot of, a lot of guys that I think are motivated to win this thing. And I think that they're going to come out on top. Um, I just think, cause I, I, I think the general consensus around team USA here is like, this is an important win. I think, I think we, they haven't played well in the, in, in, the, in this tournament in recent years you know, we, I think they mixed up kind of their format. They got a lot of new guys that I think that they feel are hungry and, and, and want to win this thing and are super talented. I think the USA has got a great shot at winning. I think they will win. Um, so like I said, I, I think for anything talent, you know, I think there's, there's talent on, on both sides. I think USA has got more motivation to win this one than team Europe. Yeah, those are all good points. And then, you know, I kind of agree with you. I don't remember the last time I watched them win it. Um, you know, the last go around with the Ryder Cup, they did not do very well. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more talent on the U.S. side. There's a, a lot more consistent players of this season on the U.S. side. So a lot more things in their favor. Um, now that I say that, watch them shit to bed. Uh, last but not least, James. Um, the course is called Whistling Straits, and it's a U.S. course in Wisconsin, which mimics a Lynx course, which we know is the European style of course. Um, do you think this is an advantage or disadvantage for the U.S.? I I don't think it's either. It's pretty much fair ground because PGA, I mean, the uh, Americans and the European players all play in the PGA and they all go to the same courses. So to be honest, they're all playing the same time at the same places anyway. So, I mean, be this as it may, it's like, it's a, it's a Lynx course. Cool. They've all played the Lynx courses at the same time. Or if it was just a regular course with trees and dog legs and all that stuff, they all played at the same time as well. It's neither an advantage or disadvantage for either team. It's just there. It's a wash. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. And I, I do, I like how uh, the Ryder Cup website, it was like, uh, there will be Scottish black sheep on the back nine. <laughs> um, like real sheep? Yeah, Scottish black like sheep. Just like around. on the Lynx courses. Yeah, just um, but, around, baby. But then, what if we hit one? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did, wait, did you ask? Are those the sheep that climb the mountains? Those are rams, I thought. What um, did you hear? We didn't ask. Oh. That. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> but yes, you're right. They are rams. Um, but uh, but you know, it's like there's like there's Scottish black sheep on the back nine. However, there are blackwood trees. Um, so yeah, I mean, you kind of answered the question. It doesn't really matter because these guys are playing a lot of different courses all over the world. Um, but I don't know. I still think it's going to be in favor of the U.S. actually because um, it's not gonna, like a true links course. And maybe some of these European dudes, they go back home when the season's over, which has been for like one or two weeks. But maybe they've been practicing on those courses. Um, I know I see you disagree. But uh, what anything you like about this course or you kind of just have in your own ways with it? It's I actually really love this course because it looks super challenging. I actually watched a YouTube video on it yesterday before you sent up the question. I was just really, I'm really into golf, 
because I'm playing really well right now. So I'm all about it. And I'm watching so many videos like no other. But I watched the video on the Whistling Straits and watched how one guy was just playing it. And the course is beautiful. It's right on the ocean. It's ridiculous. Like it's, it is narrow and it's very straight, AKA Whistling Straits. And also it's very windy, which also plays into the name Whistling Straits. Oh, shit. Yeah, you didn't know that. You had no idea. <laughs> no, I did not. But um, just like I didn't have a score or anything, it's. I guess I don't really know much about this tournament, everyone. But anyways, <laughs> now we all know more about it. Um, we have all learned from it. And that is all I have this week, everybody. <laughs> all right. And I um, predict I USA it. to win by two points also. Ooh. Anyone else want to throw out a prediction? I don't know how many points we're gonna win. I think this, I do think we're gonna win. And I, I already yeah. forgot how the point system works, but me yes, too. The points are the points are a little confusing, <laughs> badly, but, but I do know it's a, I do know it's a match play, and um, it, that's always fun to watch. Um, I don't even know what that means. What is a match play? It, it, you you play per hole, like I said. So if you and me are playing on hole one, if I get it in three strokes and you get it in four, I win the hole. That's it. I get a point. Then, I get a, I yeah. win the hole. Got it. <laughs> you, you can get up to 18 so, holes one. So Shaden beat you 10 holes out of this is good 18. podcast content. He would be <laughs> good. He would be 10 points. You probably and you would be see eight you, you probably hear when, when my dad and I play that we we play we play match play again. <laughs> Not so much sure play. So. Math, 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 fuck math. Um thank you, thank you, Eric. Um <laughs> we haven't there's unfortunately there's not very many links courses down here in socal um the only links course that i've ever played it's actually my favorite course um, that i've ever played is up in uh, monterey um it's basically um they call it um pebble beach the poor man's pebble beach it's very fun uh links course on the back nine uh just right next to the ocean um i think i i saw jose run uh, our friend jose run by because there's the walking trails right there um, and he, he said hi to us on like whole like nine uh, people can like watch you right there it's pretty awesome um, did he plan that or he just randomly was running like, no he, i think he planned it he planned okay. it um because it, i mean i think i was like yeah the like whole eight people like are literally on the beach watching you tee off it's pretty it's pretty crazy um it's a pretty fun course but uh, i wish there were more links course around here i do admit that there's sky links straight in, in long beach like five minutes away from me but close to me oh. far from you well, that's awesome. we got it. We got to hit that up. I want to try that out. But uh, thank you, Eric. Uh, when we come back, we're going to round this out. We're going to round this podcast out with some baseball talk with Tyler. We're on the last two weeks. Uh, and I know that those Dodgers, um, those Dodgers fans are very scared right now when we come back. And we're back, and Tyler's going to take us through yet another set of O-Damn moments here for baseball. Um, there's not very many O-Damn weeks left before you start talking about playoffs, Tyler. O-Damn, oh, you're right. Uh, we're getting close to October, which is the most, as we mentioned kind of in the intro, one of the most exciting months of the year in sports. Uh, but we still got two weeks of baseball left, and there's still a lot to be decided. Um, but let's get into the O-Dams here. I'm going to start with a little with a team that is definitely trending in the wrong direction, the San Diego Padres. Um, and it all kind of came to a huge boiling point this weekend. Uh, they were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis, uh, the team that was uh, behind them in, in the wildcard standings. They ended up getting swept by the Cardinals, um, and the Cardinals officially took over that second wildcard spot. Um, but during the, game, during the Saturday night loss to the Cardinals, 
there was a little bit of a uh, scuffle between teammates Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado, easily the two biggest stars on that team, going at it. Uh, and they, got, they were not happy with each other. So kind of here's what happened. Uh, Tatis struck out on a questionable called third strike. You know, it was a little bit high. Either way, he, he, he got called out on, on, on strikes. He was, very, he was very visibly not happy with the call. Didn't say anything towards the umpire, but was kind of moping around. His bi-language is awful. Uh, man, the man, manager, uh, Jason Tingler, came out to argue. He was eventually ejected from the game for arguing the call. Uh, Tatis in the dugout, still very upset, slamming, you know, throwing shit, slamming shit, just pouting in the corner, basically. Uh, the, the Padres ended up leaving a man on second base with, with one out in the inning. Uh, after the inning was over and as the team was going back out on the field on offense, uh, Manny Machado began to scream at Tatis and pretty much, you know, basically tell them that, you know, it's not about you, you know, just go out there and play baseball. Everyone knows that you're the best player, like play like that, like stop fucking caring about stuff that you can't control, you know, like grow the fuck up and go out there and play baseball, like just over and over again. You know, I'm, you know, paraphrasing here, um, but essentially just in his face yelling at him, you know, it's not about you stop being selfish, go out there and, and play baseball was essentially Manny Machado's message, but very loudly and in front of the whole team uh, right in the middle of the game. So uh, apparently there's been a lot of building tension with teammates and Fernando Tatis and his attitude lately. Apparently he hasn't had the best attitude. Um, so this was kind of a boiling point. It wasn't like it was just this one moment. This has apparently been going on for quite a few uh, weeks here. So, Trayton, do you agree with Manny's argument here and kind of the way he went about it, or do you wish he, this was handled a little bit differently? Um, well, I might surprise some of you. Um, look, especially from you Dodgers fans, I'm sure that um, this is kind of a the case of the uh, the kettle call or the pot calling the kettle black, right? Manny Machado it has kind of been a very immature player in the in the past and he's kind of rubbed a lot of Dodgers fans the wrong way especially with how he acted um over there and with the Orioles but I I, I truly believe that Manny Machado is is making a step in the right uh, right direction in terms of maturity he's, he's really kind of selling himself in and I think that he sees a Fernando Tustis Jr probably the, the most explosive player in the game one of the best players in the game follow in his footsteps and Manny's just like, no, 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 no. You're not going to do what I did. You're not going to do what I did. Um, and many, you know, many people are saying, oh, you don't do it in front of, you don't do it in front of the team. You don't do it in front of the fans. Well, you know what? There, there's some things that just need to be said at, at, at a given time. And you know what? Manny Machado said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to step up and lead this team. So it seems like the manager's losing the team, which is not, which is never good. It seems like no player on this team is really stepping up and become and finding a leadership role. And I know that it's, it's hard. It's ironic for a Manny Machado to, to take over that role, but what he did is exactly what I think Fernando Tatis Jr. needed at that moment. And I, re, I would not be surprised if, if, um, you know, he, they're, they're facing off against the, uh, the giants pretty soon here who are very hungry to make sure that they maintain their spot in the, uh, in the division. And the, the Padres have an, have an opportunity to not only get themselves in a better position on the wild card, but also a position to push the giants down and, um, and disrupt the, the flow of things in the division. And I think the Tatis, you know, he, he might be a little bit embarrassed, but in a good way where he's just like, you know what, I need to, I need to pull my head out of my ass. Stop pouting. Stop being, stop being such a, 
such a pissant. You, he know everybody knows that he is a fantastic baseball player, just like Manny said. And he said it. He he almost said that. He I think I also heard him say, "I love you, dude. I love you, bud. You just need to like wake up and pull your head out of your ass. It's not about you. It's about the team." And and I I, I actually loved that situation. It kind of it, it brings me to what happened in uh, 2019 with the um, you know St. Louis Blues. There was a legitimate fist fight in the middle of January between two players at practice, and it was filmed and it was broadcast everywhere and it was at that fucking moment that they turned around and played playoff hockey for the rest of the season and they ended up winning the Stanley Cup who's who's to say that can't happen here Tatis might have just got the the kick some fight the the Tatis might have just got the 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 um the ass kicking he needed and from a guy who has rubbed people the wrong way and been in the same position who maybe learned, you know what, this is not the way to go about it. You need, you're better than that. I know you are. He's Manny's seeing that Fernando Tatis is probably better than he was at that age. And this is an opportunity for him to, to pass on some veteran uh, experience and try to win a championship, try to figure it out. Yeah, I, I loved everything you said there, Traden. You know, I, I am not the biggest fan of, of Manny Machado. Uh, he's had a history of just being one of those players that does a lot of shit that should not be done. Um, you know, obviously he had that, you know, half a season with the Dodgers kind of walked away for more money down in San Diego. Wasn't the best player for us, especially down the stretch in the postseason that year, you know, not my favorite player, never really has been. But when I, when I was watching this for the first time, you know, I, I heard there was a scuffle between Manny and Tatis. I was like, Ooh, yay. Juicy. Like, I want to see, but like, I, <laughs> I, I thought so see. too. Yeah. And then I watched it and I was like, damn do i like manny machado now like (laughs) i honestly i loved what he did here i think as i don't have a problem with and like i guess i said in some situations like you have to say in the moment like it was it was a it was a heated wild card game tatis clearly this again it wasn't like it was just this one-off incident he's been showing signs of just having a bad attitude and at that moment manny was like dude you need to wake the you're the best player in the world right now and you know it everyone here knows it stop being a little baby and like go out there and just play baseball. Stop worrying about what the umpire says. Stop worrying about all this other shit. Go out there and play your game. And I thought the message was perfect. It was spot on. As you mentioned too, he, he, he pumped him up at the, at, at the same time that he brought him down. You know I mean? It, it was, it was honestly like an amazing, just 30 seconds of just kicking his ass that I think he needed. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great. I, you know, Manny Machado, like I just mentioned, he's done a lot of shady stuff. You know, a lot of stuff I think, you know, in this moment might sound hypocritical for him talking this way towards Tatis. But as you mentioned, I think he sees he sees him in Tatis a little bit as this super young stud player who, if he just has his attitude, if he has his mental in the right spot, he could be so much better. And I think Machado sees that in him and is trying to help him out. And I think yeah. I think it's awesome. And, you know, um, I, I would not be surprised as you said, if the Padres went on a run here in, in, in the last two weeks, yeah. um, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about my, my, my second old dam. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals have uh, moved into the second wildcard spot and entering today, they have a, a three game lead currently in that spot. They swept the Padres this week. And as I mentioned, they've won eight straight games and 10 of 11, I believe they they've won tonight. So that's nine straight now uh, mm-hmm. for, this, for the St. Louis Cardinals two weeks ago they had a less than 3% chance of making the postseason entering this week. They are up to 75% chance to make the postseason. That is a crazy flip in just two weeks. And that's September baseball for you right there. You never know what can happen. You go on a little nine game winning streak and anything can happen. Um, 
So as, as I mentioned, they're currently three games ahead of the Reds and three and a half games in front of the Padres and the Phillies with two games left. So Eric, as we sit here and, you know, going in, in, in the final two weeks, are the, are the Cardinals the clear favorite right now to win that second wild card spot with two weeks left? Or do you think that one of those other teams can sneak in and uh, kind of ruin their uh, chances here? They're not in the clear yet. They got 15 days, um, but, you know, they kind of made a statement with that sweeping of the pod race, especially a team that close with them in the wild card race. Um, it's kind of a control your own destiny situation for them moving forward. But, you know, it's only to face either the Dodgers or the Giants. But you never know. You give yourself a chance to play one game and move on. That's what the wild card's all about. Um, imagine the Dodgers and Giants, one of those teams with the season that they've had, just losing to the Cardinals in one game and being done. Um, it may make you love the wild card or may make you hate it. But let me let me talk about the Cardinals a little bit more. They have the Brewers, Cubs, Brewers, Cubs left. So two series with each team. Um, I think it's going to be tough for them, but as, at the same time, it could be a blessing in disguise. You're playing uh, a good, strong Brewers team that will be in the playoffs this year. Um, if they can learn how to play them and win, you know, two out of three, play well, um, that's going to build up their confidence going into this wild card game. And then you look at the Cubs, they're kind of a team that's got nothing to lose and they want to finish off their season on a good note. So they're going to play them hard. And so these are going to be some tough games for the Cardinals, but it could be a blessing in disguise. They could get off the, on the right foot and kind of take a commanding lead of this wild card spot. I think, well, actually, I don't know if they won tonight or not. They were tied um, with the Brewers. So Looking at, you know, the rest of this series, this series could be very important. If they could find a way to win three out of four on the Brewers or at least tie them 2-2, they go and play in the Cubs and they got the Brewers and Cubs one more time each. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be the next, like, five days that determines if they really make this wild card spot or not. Yeah, and then on the flip side, the, the Padres' remaining schedule, they got the Giants twice, they got the Dodgers, and they got the Braves. So their Padres schedule the last two weeks, much more difficult than the Cardinals. Um, and I would also say, you know, they, 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 they do play the Brewers twice, but the Brewers don't have a ton to play for at the moment. They are going to win the NL Central. It's just a matter of time. And they're most likely not going to catch the Dodgers or the Giants for the best record in the National League. So they're not playing for best record. They're not playing for, for division. They're just playing to get their team healthy and right to go for October. Um, so they may not play their best players go, um, coming down the stretch here, not as much. So that might be a positive for the Cardinals as well. So I think that, and you know, you've got the, the Padres playing the Giants, the Dodgers, three of the last four series. Those two teams want to win every single game coming down the stretch because they both want to win, win the division. Um, and even the Braves too, you know, they're not a lock yet to win their division. So the Padres have a lot of stiff competition coming up. But you know, as we mentioned, maybe 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 uh, Tatis lit up, or was gonna is gonna play better, and, may, and maybe Machado kind of got this team together. We'll see. It's gonna take that for them, I think, to turn this thing around. It's gonna take some remarkable turnaround because the last two months of Padres baseball has been absolutely awful. Um, I think the Cardinals are playing hot at the right time. I think their schedule favors them dramatically. I got the Cardinals taking the second wild card spot, which is crazy because entering this month, I didn't even really think about them as um, as an option. So, um, and and you know. Three games isn't a huge lead, but 
it's definitely it's, you, you you built yourself a little bit of cushion there um if you can play like 500 baseball and another and none of those teams go on a run you know i think you're gonna lock it up but we'll see what happens um let's move on to the american league side of things and talk about a couple things uh, let's talk about the mvp race in the american league there's two players and i think this is one of the most intriguing arguments i think um for al mvp here kind of the 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 two nominees i think so far you could make some more cases for for for, for some other guys but, but the two favorites vladimir guerrero jr and shohei otani so let's look at the numbers real quick. Uh, Vlad Jr., he's hitting 321 with 46 home runs and 105 RBIs, um, obviously in the run for the Triple Crown, as, as, as you mentioned last week. He, uh, if you guys are into the war stat, uh, he's got a 6.8 war, um, which is tied for best in the league, actually with his teammate Marcus Simeon, which you know quietly has been having a phenomenal season. Um, Shohei Otani on the other end, he's hitting 257 with 44 home runs and 94 RBIs. What's interesting about him, you have his war as an offensive player and he has war as a pitcher. So as an offensive player, he has a 4.5 war. So compared that to Vladdy, it's not even really that close. But Shohei Otani, two-way player, is a pitcher. As a pitcher, he's 9-2 with a 3.28 ERA and 123.1 innings pitch, which leads the team. And he's a 3.7 war at that. Combined, his war is 8.2, which is much higher than uh, Vladdy's. So it kind of depends on how you want to look at this. You know, James, which player do you feel is more valuable? I mean, surprise, surprise. I'm an Angels fan, so I'm going to pick Shohei, but it's not just because of homerism. I mean, to be frank, Shohei is affecting this game in more way than one. He is a hitter, and he's destroying hitting. He's not the best home run hitter because Vladdy is. And he's not the best on average hitter because Vladdy is. But the fact of the matter is he's out there every single day. He's taken maybe two days off a month. And I remember um, when Eric had brought this up a year plus ago, Alex said that Shohei would never win because he only plays two to three days a week. And that's been debunked. Shohei plays almost every day. He doesn't take days off. He's out there either in the DH spot, sometimes in the outfield, or he's going to be pitching. That's what he does. He's helping the team in every single way he can. And let's talk about the definition of most valuable player. Most valuable player is for the team and for the game of baseball. Is Shohei the best player on the team? Absolutely. Not even close. Mike Trout has played 30 games. Anthony Rendon has played 20 games. Without Shohei on this team, this the Angels team would have won 40 games total and been the worst in baseball. They're that bad, but Shohei has been out here doing his thing and making the Angels watchable. And let's just talk about the game of baseball as a whole. Shohei has grown this game like no other. I mean – you got people who aren't even baseball fans and players from other sports talking about Shohei. People who would not normally watch baseball are out there being like, oh, I want to see Shohei pitch and hit. This all-star game was ridiculous because Shohei was pitching and hitting and in the home run derby. People come just to watch Shohei. And in Japan, it's ridiculous too. They have He has his own day. They have a Shohei day. That's like a national holiday for Shohei Otani because he's that much of a big deal. This dude is growing the game and he's the best player of the team. He's the most valuable player for his team and the most valuable player for baseball. I like that. I like that you said he's the most valuable player for baseball. I think that's a really, really cool point there. Um, I, in my opinion, I don't think Shohei needs to put up the same offensive numbers as Vlad Jr. to be considered for this award. And he still offensively is putting up insane numbers. I mean, obviously that average is kind of eh, but the home runs and RBIs and just the fact that he's out there all the time is really impressive. 
And the fact that this, I mean, nine and two at 3.28 ERA, that's, that's an amazing pitching line. Like that, that is, that is all-star material. Um, he, he is a great pitcher and on a team, you know, obviously, you know, the, they're pitching as we've talked about several times, not great, but he leads the team in, in innings pitched, you know, that is really impressive. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting comparison because it's, it's almost like you can't compare the two because Vlad Jr. has yet to make a start on the mound this season, but <laughs> You know, it is, this is the case, right? And I think that we haven't really seen a player like Shohei really ever. And I think you have to respect the fact that he's putting up these numbers on both sides of the ball. Um, He's got to be the clear favorite for me to win MVP. You know, I think some people can make the argument that, oh, he's not on a winning team. I think in this particular situation, it doesn't really matter. I think he is just that incredible of a player. And as I mentioned, you know, those stats compared to, 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 to Vladdy Jr. Off, offensively, not even that close, except for maybe on the home run side of things. But the value he brings to both sides of the ball is unmatched by anyone else. And he's had an amazing season and he deserves to win that award. Um, yeah, so that's my thing. Uh, so let's move on to my final Odam. Um, speaking of Otani, uh, he got uh, targeted a little bit by the, by the Chicago White Sox. Uh, this happened on Thursday night, and uh, the, the White Sox lost 9-3 to three to the Angels. Uh, pitcher Mike Wright came into the game in the ninth inning, um, and he hit Otani in, in the calf on a 2-1 fastball. Um, three White Sox players were hit earlier in the game. Um, after Otani was hit by the ball, the umpires met and determined that it was intentional, and Wright got tossed from the game. Later on, our, uh, t- Tony LaRusso also came out and argued after the ejection, and he got tossed as well. MLB handed down their suspensions. Mike Wright suspended for three games currently uh, is, is appealing that suspension and manager Tony Russo got one game suspension. He already served his um, it's kind of an interesting moment there. And just kind of what was going on, obviously a show. Hey, as we just mentioned, probably the biggest star in, in the game right now, being intentionally thrown out, it's going to generate some uh, headlines here. Um, so Alex, do you think this was intentional on uh, Mike Wright's part? And do you agree with MLB's suspensions here? Um, well, so before I answer that, I'm going to give my little tidbits on other things. I think the Padres are done. Uh, I think the Reds have a much better chance. They play the Pirates a bunch, and they play the Nationals, both terrible teams. Watch out for the Reds. Uh, Shohei's going to win MVP because it's all about the story. And what Shohei has done is insane. And James, you were right. I did. He's never – this is the first season since he's been in America or when he played in Japan that he's played this much. And unfortunately, if you like look at his second half numbers, he has fallen off quite a bit. But what he is doing is unbelievable. You know, I don't think he'll ever do this again. I mean, he'll he'll continue to be a great player. I'm not sure he'll ever do it this level again. And I think the voters will expect Vladdy to do this next year. Like it wouldn't surprise me if Vladdy does this next year, if he's even better somehow. Um, also, Tyler, just real quick, we never talked about fantasy baseball. Can you remind me who's in the uh, championship geez. real quick yeah congrats alex uh in the championship Thanks, uh you got a good championship matchup against your younger brother so uh yep. best of luck in that uh james also <laughs> also lost the semifinals. so james and i are going to be playing for the third place prize i, I don't know how like many points yeah that was a much closer match i i i had a really good like first 200 week. yeah I had, I had a really good first week i was i was i was winning after week one and then my pitchers just decided to like be like what the fuck do we do now? So I don't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I got negative points on my pitching in the, the second week, but 
on Sunday, dude, I dropped all my pitchers and went on the waiver wire to find every single pitcher that was starting, trying to add up the points, and it did not work because everybody <laughs> got negative. Well, hey, I went backwards. Yeah, see, that's 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 the risk on on that. But yeah, um, congrats, Alex. I don't know, Alex. I don't know how many times I've lost you in fantasy baseball playoffs, but I'm just I'm definitely over it. Sorry, bud. Um, okay, to answer the actual original question, I watched the video. I don't think it was on purpose. I don't really know why, unless I missed something when the White Sox and the Angels played much earlier in the season that I'm just misremembering. But, I mean, I've, I've seen the video. The guy had – what was his name? Mike Wright? Mike Wright, yeah. I don't even, don't even know who the fuck that is. Uh, didn't seem like he had any control. Um, I, and I don't even know how you could be mad at Shohei. He seems like the most likable dude in baseball. Um, I mean – the first pitch he threw kind of like at his knees and he missed Threw another slider that missed by a lot and then hit him on that third one. I mean, and if you look at Mike Wright's body language after the hit by pitch, it wasn't like you can kind of tell when it's on purpose because the pitcher usually kind of stares the guy down a little bit or like does something to kind of show that like, yeah, I did that on purpose. I don't, again, I don't know why it would be on purpose. I don't, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's fighting the suspension. I, it will probably be knocked down would be my guess. Um, I don't really understand unless something else also happened earlier in that game that I missed. Cause usually there's some sort of warning, but, and it seemed like it wasn't like an immediate toss either. All the umpires got together and then they tossed him. It was one of the more strange ejections I've ever seen. And I think Mike Wright was just like, wait, me? Like, what the fuck? And I mean, Tony Larusa is who gives a shit about that guy, but uh, it was weird. I don't really know, like the Angels are out of it. The white like White Sox are kind of in the same spot as the Brewers. Like they're going to win the Central by a lot. They're just like getting ready for the postseason. They're not going to catch the Rays for the best record, so like it doesn't matter. I don't like why would you do that? Like what? There's no intention. So I think it was just unfortunately just a giant misunderstanding um which is boring because like baseball fights like if they actually get after it are some of the best um but yeah i just think it was a complete misunderstanding it got way more news than it needed to you know what if it was like i don't even i don't even know who else plays on that team if it was like jared walsh or somebody that he hit and not shohei otani probably wouldn't even be a story it's just because it's Shohei and he's the MVP and he's the, you know, voted most influential time, 100 influential person. Like he's the, he's fucking awesome. And that's probably why. I agree. I, I was expecting there to be a lot more fireworks and a lot more uh, intensity to this whole situation when I saw, saw the update and then I watched the video and I was like, that was it. And I was just kind of, it was weird. And I, I hate how inconsistent MLB is with their suspensions on this kind of stuff. It's very weird and just very – it's just all – you never know what you're going to expect from them. Um, I don't think this was intentional. Um, even Shohei kind of had to, like, lean into that pitch to get hit, which, by the way, I'm applauding because if you find a way to get on base. You know, if you can lean into a pitch a little bit, go for it. It was – the ball was thrown, like, behind him, and he kind of just stepped back and it hit his calf. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, it didn't seem intentional to me. I understand maybe they're the only thing I could obviously that they could probably consider was the fact that three White Sox players did get hit by pitches earlier in the game. But it's like, that's just all 
I don't know, man. I, I, I just, that's just I thought, the angel pitchers being shit. Like, right, always. yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I just, that's, I'm sure the angels hit three batters a night on a consistent basis. So I don't know, oh, you know, so it, it was weird. And I don't think MLB should have suspended either Tony LaRusso as much as I don't like that guy or Mike Wright in the situation. Um, there's been so much more worse targeting kind of things going on. And I don't know, they're, they're like weirdly sensitive about it. And I think, as you meant, I think the fact that it was Shohei Otani, I think made this a much bigger deal than it actually was. So, but just an interesting kind of thing. You don't see suspensions happen all that often. So that, that, that we talk about it, but yeah, guys, you know, baseball's coming to the, the final two weeks. Uh, super, super exciting. Uh, we got, and I guess next week will be my final ODAM of the regular season. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about October baseball and we're going to be getting into the playoffs. So it's going to get real exciting here. Yes, I'm very excited. I, I actually love uh, <clears throat> World Series baseball. That it, I mean, that is definitely something I try to watch all of, um, especially once the team that I said is going to make the playoffs makes the playoffs and you guys have to eat your words every yeah. step of the way. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, and hopefully it's more than just a game. Because <laughs> I'll be honest, I am a little worried about the Padres now um, or any team for that matter. As they, I think the Padres play the Giants like six times over the next two weeks. And if you, if you light a fire on a Tatis's ass, get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> uh so um yeah that's very exciting thank you guys um for sticking with us for yet another um tldr podcast episode um tune it tune in next week if you guys have you know segments that you guys want us to talk about if you think that you know we're dumbasses, which i know we probably are please let us know on instagram um i think we have some tiktoks out there um talk shit on that that's always fun um and you know catch us on catch us next week uh tell us about tell your friends about us because we're just we're just a couple knuck we're just a few knuckleheads just trying to you know talk sports and we're idiots and you know we we want to hear that so we can call you an idiot too we're all idiots in this idiotic world thank you see you next week